Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, I'm Steph and this is the Don't Buy Her Flowers podcast and I'm actually recording this intro. Um, I needed to get it done. I had a message from producer Fee and uh, I haven't got much time today so I'm in a cupboard in the gym which I'm waiting for someone to knock on the door and I'm going to be really embarrassed but it's got some weights and some balls in it and I've not and some electrical looking stuff I probably shouldn't be in here but anyway uh, it's not a new year's resolution I generally do exercise year round except the last couple of months have been uh, well we had covid but we didn't just get it in one hit the family like to spread it out so that we've had no structure or resemblance of routine for a good couple of months uh, then we had christmas and weren't able to do the plans that we initially set out to when seeing lots of family, which I'm sure is the same for lots of people because of COVID. Um, and now it is 2022, so I am in a gym cupboard. I haven't actually done any exercise yet. It's a funny start to the year. I had loads of DMs in my Instagram uh, message pot saying there were some people who were feeling really positive into the new year. And then I had quite a few more people messaging to say that they're anxious, they don't want to make plans, it feels really uncertain still, we are still in a pandemic. And you know, there's been two years of that, which is why I really wanted to speak to my guest for this episode, who is Dr. Emma Zvanberg, who is a brilliant psychologist. Um, she talks a lot about mental health and therapy and but it makes it really accessible. The last two years are gonna have had an impact. We still don't really know what. And so we talked about that. We talked about how people might really be feeling, what things we could be doing to try and help ourselves recover, some reflections, some different ways of thinking about everything that everyone's been through. I think you'll find it really useful. She's very kind and wise and really bloody smart. And so, yeah, I would love for you to let me know any thoughts, either in my DMs or if you email podcast at don'tbuyherflowers.com. And of course, if you would like to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast, if you subscribe, then you'll get a ping when we do a new episode, which I think for the next few weeks might not be exactly on the same day every week. So then you'll be the first to hear it, which, you know, who wouldn't want that? Um, but yeah, please enjoy the show. Emma, welcome to the Don't Buy Her Flowers podcast. 
Oh, thank you so much for having me, Steph. No, it's so lovely to talk to you. So as a psychologist, uh, basically, can you fix us all, please? Because, (laughs) right, everyone's feeling a bit frazzled. We're in January 2022. Mm. And I just wanted to start with the whole new year, new you stuff. And this year, especially, it feels a bit crackers in that there's there's all the posts that are like, I guess it's sort of diet posts or how to improve on yourself. And this is your opportunity to be really productive and set your plans for 2022 and set the world alight. And then you've got that kind of just be you, you're enough. We don't need to make resolutions. We're perfect just as we are. And everyone's got a take on it. You have to have a take on it. Give me your take, Emma. Do you know, as you were talking, I could just feel my body getting tireder just with all (laughs) of the different, you know, so many different messages that we're receiving. And we do anyway, don't we, at this time of year, it can feel like a fresh start. The positive side of it is that it can feel like a fresh start. You know, it's a clean slate. We kind of can start the year, hopefully, as we mean to go on, set some resolutions or some ideas. I'm not actually a huge fan of resolutions. I much prefer the idea of, you know, maybe thinking about an intention or maybe thinking about what you'd like to get from the year. But having said all of that, that's pressure enough at the best of times. And we've been living through such difficult times for such a long time, you know, nearly two years now. And even before that, you know, as parents, as women, as people, actually, we were living in quite a stressed out society and stressed out way already. So it's just yet another example. I think my take on it is that it's just yet another example of the kind of pressure that gets placed on us from so many different directions. And Mm -hmm. as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, there's something in what you were saying about what's the right way, like what's the right way of doing this? What's the right way of starting this year? And I think that often that's what we can do to try and just hold on to some sort of anchor. Mm. Like if I I know what I'm supposed to be doing now, whether it's accepting myself, whether it's going on a diet, starting a new fitness plan, getting a lovely new planner and deciding what I'm going to do for the rest of the year, at least then I feel like I've got some sense of control over what's happening in my life. Mm. And I think at a time when we've been living with such uncertainty for such mm. a long time. A oh, total lack of control. A real lack of control. And so that you can see why that's very appealing. Mm. Having said that, you know, we tend to look for things and ways to feel more in control when things are particularly uncertain and it can create such a conflict for us because on the one hand we're trying to grasp onto something that makes us feel a little bit more certain like we've got some sense of control over our day-to-day life but we actually just don't have the resources to actually go through with those plans to deliver and you know in that way we can just end up feeling yet again like we're not kind of achieving or doing what we want to be doing so more guilt more shame why can everyone else seem to be doing this and I can't Mm. when actually if we were able to have a conversation about well do you know what I'm not going to do anything different this year because this year actually all I need to do is just recover and rest and Mm. think about where I am now and how I'm feeling now and then maybe next year I might be in a situation where I can start making some plans and set some goals for myself but before that I just need to pause and rest. Yeah I mean I've 
I had some messages from people and uh, so it was Jenny was saying no goals, no resolutions, just trying to live the same each year. And she kind of had some enjoy some simple things, surround mm. ourselves with good people. Like I think one of my things that I'm trying to work on is that idea of enjoying things a bit more, enjoying any of it a bit more, rather than thinking, oh, what's the next thing I need to do? And it's just this list of to-dos, which yes. there are that's not going away, is it? So I've got to no. learn to live with it. And then there was another one from, um, it was a, a Steph actually, and she said, I think the pandemic has made us all give up a little. It's the feeling you get when you realise Santa isn't real. The charm and fun of life is being mm. constantly interrupted. Um, yes, gosh. What you look forward to is tainted with testing or wondering if Boris is going to announce changes and then Brexit. So I suppose it's the anxiety of just not knowing and worrying about our future for the children and society and what impact this is all having. And I think there was a few like that, like lots of anxiety. Lots of anxiety. But how could there not be? Yeah. given what we've been through and I think you know what what she was saying there about the kind of you know you, it's it's a sort of anticipatory grief you know that we're not able to really look forward to things because we just don't really know what's around the corner mm. and I and you know more than that even we have to then if we're hoping to to do something to make a plan that there are lots of steps that we have to go through and at each one of those steps you know things the stakes just get higher and higher for people you know it doesn't feel like things are just easy you know mm. it's it's lots of things take a lot of planning or a lot of thought and at any point things can change quite quickly and and now our ability to deal with those changes has definitely changed like the shock that first time around of oh you mm. can't go on holiday you can't see people or you're gonna have to isolate for two weeks as it was was massive and then by this Christmas most of the people I know couldn't do what they had originally planned mm. and telling your kids which you know that devastation at the beginning of going sorry kids we're not going on that holiday or whatever and whereas now it was kind of just a bit yeah we're not doing that and they even their reaction is quite upsetting because it's not that big a deal yes it can be really upsetting I I hear that I also think that we've all learned to be so much more flexible and I think mm. that's a really positive thing you know mm. I think you know when I said a moment ago you know we don't really know what the future holds I often think about the fact that we never knew what the future held but mm. we often had this idea that we did you know we made assumptions about the future based on our experience our parents experience you know we kind of tell ourselves stories about what the world is going to be like based on those kind of experiences and then what happened with the pandemic was that all of that has so been turned on its head and there was this huge shift right at the beginning where people were really kind of grappling with, okay, well, what is normality now? I don't really, and we still haven't quite got there, right? Mm. That kind of feeling of right now, I know my feet are on solid ground. Everything still feels a bit wobbly. We don't quite know what the future is going to look like. But actually, in many ways, that's a much more realistic way of approaching the future because mm. we never really knew what the future held but that kind of sense of of us having control over that often can create an, its own kind of anxiety you know when things don't go according to plan for example mm. and and for many people that I work with actually anxiety comes out of that gap between our expectations and what reality turns out to be when our whole idea of reality gets kind of turned around really turned upside down 
actually it, it means that we also reassess so many other things like you were just saying you know actually maybe for me it's about connections and relationships and enjoyment maybe that's what feels more important now mm. and although of course we all wish this had never happened mm. and for many people there have been only negative outcomes one potential positive outcome is that it has made people reassess their values it had it has led to us all being much more flexible and our kids will grow up having to be very adaptable because mm. they have had these experiences in their very early life of having to kind of shift and change and go with the flow and although that's been very difficult for many people that I think that there are also some potentially positive outcomes to that too. Do you know that's a really refreshing way of looking at it because you're right in that you, there's a lot of stuff that you exactly as you just said you can't control so I suppose as well that reassessing so like I had loads of messages in the run up to Christmas we did um uh, an episode on people pleasing and Christmas and I had loads of messages from people saying they were and this was kind of early December before it really kicked off with Omicron mm. saying I really enjoyed last year and how do I tell my family um, that we want to right. be just us four or us five or whoever with their children and I don't want to upset my family, but it was a really lovely day. And then that, what happened is a lot of people didn't. <laughs> we we did. We were meant to be with yeah. twelve other people, and we couldn't because of COVID. So we ended up being us five. And it it yeah, it wasn't a terrible day. But isn't it funny that we, even though we wanted that, lots of us people were still going. Oh, I didn't get to see my family. It's it's so weird. Mm. It's almost like it's entrenchedness. So will we not learn from this? <laughs> Do we? Will we fall back on on things, or can we learn from it? I suppose. How do we? I think it's. I mean, it's it's up to us, you know, to kind of take stock and think about what we want to learn from these experiences and do we want to make shifts in our life longer term and I think that there has been quite a lot of pressure and I guess in some ways it's this bit that is harder for some people where maybe actually there was some pleasure in life being a little bit simpler for some people but then having to communicate that to people while worrying about offending them or people feeling rejected mm. you know it's one thing doing it on your own when nobody else is doing anything different yeah. it's another thing having to say to your mum actually do you know what I don't want to come over for Christmas day this year because mm. I just want it to be us five so I think it's that it's the kind of where where the sort of new social norms come into it is where people get much more anxious and it all gets a bit more complicated and again we, do, we don't really have a normal with that right like everybody's kind of you know kind of almost you know trying to trying to forge their own path and thinking about what I'm comfortable with might be really different to what you're comfortable with mm. and there is often an anxiety about well if I communicate that to you are you going to judge me for where I'm sitting and with that's all of this? massive I mean that's that division that wasn't there at the beginning and maybe that's mm. why there's a bit of looking back at that first lockdown I mean it's a complete blur um but with almost rose-tinted glasses because mm. there was that NHS support, there was this kind of collective feeling. We didn't have a vaccine to even worry about at that point and what people's views were on that for or against or anything. Mm -hmm. And so it did feel very, very different to now, the division that you have now. And like you say, you've got to explain your view. Or, yeah, a group of friends getting together, 
do you feel comfortable with that person coming because they might have someone at home with COVID? Some of you will yes, do, some yeah. of you won't do. And it's so that constant having to think through and think of everyone else's thoughts as well as your own thoughts and decide mm. what your thoughts even are is, oh God, it's exhausting. It is exhausting. I mean, it's tiny millions of tiny decisions that we're making mm. all the time you know mm. though even like remembering to take your mask into a shop oh. you know those kind of things where yeah. that they're not kind of automatic to us yet right yeah. and um you know thinking about how am I going to have this conversation with somebody that maybe I don't want to go to the pub because I don't feel comfortable or whatever it might be mm. you know they for many of us we had our kind of normal life and things were you know obviously as you were saying kind of stressful in their own ways but at least those things were kind of agreed unconsciously we mm-hmm. had these kind of unconscious social contracts and now all of that has been thrown up in the air again like we don't have a contract with which to communicate with each other and be together and that can create a lot of friction and I think the work that you're doing through your oh, mostly through your Instagram page is where people can probably find it most easily is saying this is why you're tired because <laughs> yes. you've got lots of people going I, d- I don't know why I'm so exhausted it should be thing is getting a bit you know it is getting a bit easier and it is a bit more back to normal why am I so exhausted and what you're kind of pointing out is there is still so much to process and yes. I think for anyone listening hopefully that's quite reassuring like because otherwise you think you're on your own going, why do I feel so overwhelmed still? Um, if someone's listening who is upset that life really won't return to what it used to be, mm. what can they do? So I guess, you know, and there's a, there's a, there's a new sense, I suppose, of what is our normality going to be mm. kind of from here on in. I think that for a lot of people, a lot of people, I think, have had that feeling of trying to hold on to something that feels normal. So, you know, I used that word anchor before. I think a lot of people have kind of just tried to hold on to something like, you know, as long as we get to Christmas or as long as I get to go on that holiday, then things will start to feel a bit more settled. And then all of a sudden something else comes along and kind of shifts things again. Mm. And that is an upsetting state to be in, right? That just, I suppose, really say that very clearly. Living in a state of uncertainty is incredibly psychologically difficult. Mm -hmm. Like we're not good at doing that as human beings. We like things to be routine and predictable. So it would be weird if we're not feeling upset about it at all, right? Everyone's going to have had some sort of shift, if if people are, you know, just feeling that actually at this point in time, it's really impacting on their day-to-day functioning, their kind of ability to do the things that they would normally do, I would say, first of all, is go and speak to somebody about it, whether that's mm. your GP, whether it's another healthcare professional, or even just somebody that you trust to listen, be able to hold it with you so that you can just unburden yourself a little bit. Mm. Um, but you asked specifically about that kind of not returning to a state of normality or, or that kind of things shifting. And I think that that's about grief, right? We're talking about grief and grieving for what was, grieving for our anticipated future. You know, we're letting go not only of what we had before and I've spoken to a few people who almost describe it as like a homesickness you know like Mm. oh I just wish I could have a day of my kind of pre-covid life because I didn't really value what I had at that time and how lovely it felt at the time you know so so there's that kind of actual grief of what we've lost and Mm. then there's the kind of grief of 
our the futures that we expected to have and you know you talked about looking at your children and thinking about what kind of future they're going to have and mm. you know this is different to what we expected and I think you know being able to kind of honor that sit with that and allow the upset you know not to kind of push it away and minimize it or diminish it or say I should be feeling okay by now because actually it's huge mm. and really being able to think about what it has meant to you you know what and it's different for everybody so what has it meant for you as an individual what has it meant for you and your family what has it meant for you and your kind of wider circles we did an exercise I I run a um, parenting group on Facebook called The Village and we we all did an exercise towards the end of um, lockdown in March last year where we wrote letters you know for to to our pre- pre-COVID selves you know Mm. from March 2020 selves as we were kind of heading into the first lockdown and it was a really beautiful exercise because people went through that process of of you know really grieving for what they had had before being able to think about what it meant to them at the time you know that kind of fear that people felt going into the first lockdown Mm. but then in doing that in giving space to talking about how difficult that was what happened to everybody was then this shift to and look what I learned and look where I am now and I did things that I didn't think I would ever be capable of doing Mm. and there was for for everybody this kind of real sense of pride in yeah look how far we've come actually I didn't think that we would be able to do this I mean if you'd have told us at the beginning, how long this was going to last, how many lockdowns there'd be, how many months we'd be homeschooling. There was no, I mean, the sh- that, that homeschooling piece was the, I mean, I genuinely, because so Frank is now four, he was two when, when it started, mm. which even that in my head is like, oh, God, it's he such was such a difference. Yes. Such a difference. And it's the same for all kids. And actually, I think we were really lucky in that my older two were nine and 11. They could, especially for the towards the you know the more recent lockdowns, they could sit on an iPad. They knew how to do lessons. The school had got it down pat, so they knew what was going on. But that first one, when it was like printing off reams of paper, can you remember that? And then, I'm actually, my heart is my heart. I know, is I know. Faster. Sorry, don't, I don't want to break give you a breakdown. But and and my two year old was here, so that that March to June, I think nurseries went back in the June. Kid, the kid, big kids were still off, but once the two year old was out of the picture, it was a bit easier. Mm. I can't remember how we did it. We were both working full time. We had some sort of weird shift pattern going on, and this would be the same for loads of families. Yes. And, and I'm yeah. aware that lots of families will have it way worse, but it mm. was hard. It was so fucking hard at points that it's gone from my head. A load of it. Well, I mean, I can. Shall I explain a little bit about why that? why that is yeah, why it's why gone from blocked? your head <laughs> I mean, why I is it blanked out yeah. because I think actually a lot of people do look back on that time and just go what happened mm. like I don't I, and that can be quite disorienting to kind of not quite remember like you might have snippets of memories or fragments of memories and um you know I talk a lot about trauma like that we've been through a, or, and are going through a collective trauma mm. And even though I think a lot of people feel really uncomfortable about using that word when maybe their individual experience didn't feel, you know, kind of objectively as difficult as perhaps Mm -hmm. somebody else's, actually there are different layers to it. So 
you know, even though some people will have had far worse traumatic experiences and would have experienced much more objectively, you know, traumatic experiences, mm. actually collectively we have been through a trauma. When when you define trauma as, you know, a point at which or an experience during you, you feel as if you are in danger, that your life or the lives of your loved ones are in danger in some way. And it 100% did, especially at that beginning, that fear of going in the supermarket Absolutely. and people in yeah. fucking full gas masks I can remember seeing that and just thinking this is trippy like I don't even well it was sort of apocalyptic yeah right yeah. it was like a sort of really bad BBC drama I think yeah. Right at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. yeah but that you know that kind of huge shift into being in in threat mode right mm. so what happens to our brains when we're in threat mode is that our frontal lobes kind of switch off so that's all executive functioning. That's the stuff that is involved in our memory, the organization of our memories. It's involved in complex reasoning, in articulating our thoughts into language. So all of that kind of really wise, it's like the CEO of your brain, right, mm-hmm. is your frontal lobes. And when that kind of flips off, we we can appear to be functioning actually really well, but our amygdala has taken over. So that's the alarm system of your brain. Right. So we're kind of running on autopilot. And I think it's survival mode, right? People talk about survival mode. I was in survival mode. What that actually means is that you're using your kind of automatic systems. You're not really processing information in the same way. It, it's, it makes more sense when you think about it like a car accident for example like a really quick trauma mm. where you know what what often happens is that people will look back on those uh, really difficult experiences like a car accident and they'll remember fragments so they might remember a particular smell or they might remember a screeching of brakes but they don't it's very hard to articulate it as a full narrative mm. and that's because our, our brain is so invested in just keeping us safe that it's not connecting up or all of the different senses, all of the different information that's coming in in the same way. So that's why when you look back on it now, you might see little snippets mm. and you might think, yeah, I know, I know we got through it. And I remember the printing off the reams of paper, but actually as a kind of coherent narrative, it's really difficult to put that together. Mm. But we can start to do that now, right? Like having these kind of conversations and talking mm. about what we remember from that time mm. and how we felt about it and what it meant to us is what helps us create a coherent narrative. And it then takes our, you know, that experience from our amygdala, from being associated with a threat into our frontal lobes. It actually kind of moves around the information in our brains. And in doing so, it, it can potentially reduce that kind of traumatic flavor to those kind of memories because I think one of the things that was quite unusual well is was completely unusual was that that we were collectively going through it and I and everyone's Mm. experience was different but because of that everyone had a different take on it and I think everyone had Mm. a different crash point and that's what was really weird about it and I think even if you did turn to someone I remember seeing somebody and it was the kids were about to go back to school and saying, oh, my God, thank God, you know, thank God they're about to go back. So it was just another parent who I didn't know particularly well, but I said along the lines of, oh, thank God they're going back to school. And they were like, oh, we've had a lovely time. You know, it's been really nice family time. And I was like, okay. And I just thought, oh, God, am I a terrible shit person? I mean, I'm not a terrible shit person. And I think they were probably just not very being But that sort of critical (laughs) voice just comes in. Yeah, yeah. but that's what was so hard about it, that we were all, or we still are, like you say, going through it 
So you're dealing with someone. It's not like usually when someone's gone through something awful, they say someone died or this thing happened to me and the, and you can get empathy. You will receive empathy. You, we almost didn't have the capacity for that because we were all going through it at the same time. Yeah, but I also wonder whether other countries feel that too. Like I think in the UK we do have that real like keep calm and carry on. That was like mm. a really strong narrative here and like the whole stiff upper lip thing where – you know, I remember speaking to somebody um, in the US kind of halfway through last year and, um, you know, they, they were talking to me about how much, you know, they it was part of their narrative or maybe in the social circles that they were in that there was much more reflection and, I don't know, acknowledgement of emotions the emotional mm. resonance of it all and we're not great at that in the UK at talking about our feelings and you know it's seen still as being something that's a bit stigmatized and even shameful and I think you know there are kind of cultural differences there in how we've approached and how we've approached this um and I think you know part of it is just that normalization of different experiences so mm when you don't talk about it or when you don't feel able to talk about how difficult it's been for you or for anybody then you start to feel that I mean what you're talking about there with the parent is that all of a sudden that sense of judgment right which brings up shame Mm -hmm. have I dealt with it differently or am I you know terrible person for feeling this way whereas you know maybe they did have a great time maybe they had a lovely holiday maybe they have a different you know very different setup to you like we don't know what other people's experiences are But there is also that stigma around being able to say, actually, do you know what? I'm having a really hard time and know that it is going to be heard and accepted by other people around us. And, you know, I've heard a lot of people talking about not wanting to burden others because Mm. everybody was going through their own kind of hardships. But if we if we were able to be in a place where we could say I'm having a hard time and somebody could just hear that without needing to fix it without needing to offer anything but just yeah I hear you I'm here I get it like that's really all we need when we're in that state ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. When you mentioned shame as well, and I think it's something that when you know so much about what's going on in the world and you feel like you should know about it or you should have an opinion on it all. And that felt really intense in the last couple of years. Like it went up a whole notch, maybe because yes, we were at home. Yeah. And so there's even more, there's no sort of stuff going on. We're not doing anything. So we're just receiving more and more information. Mm. And so you have to have a, a view and you should be doing something about all of these things. So whether it's like climate change or um, Brexit or stuff to do with racism or like all this stuff. And it is all really important and it shouldn't be that we're ignorant to it, but it mm. feels massively overwhelming. For mm -mm. Us personally, I think more so in the last couple of years than it did when we were kind of getting on with our lives a bit more, maybe. Well, I guess you can't ignore it as easily because we we get information from everywhere, right? Yeah. So we, we get, I mean, if we're on our phones a lot and it's it's on our phones constantly, you know, whether it's from a news app or whether it's from social media or whether it's our friends talking about it, you know, we generally are consuming so much more information. But I think it was Esther Perel has talked about this time as being a, a great awakening and, I think it's not just about us having been at home and not kind of as busy or maybe, you know, consuming more information in that sense. I think that there has also been a psychological shift in people in terms of mm. things kind of coming out from under the carpet. You know, I think we were, we were in a state where actually people's tolerance for just letting stuff go has dissipated so mm -hmm. you know with George Floyd's death for example that felt like you know even though that was something you know in the sort of Black Lives Matter movement had been going on for many years before that mm -hmm. something about how activated we were at the time meant that a lot of people then really sat up and paid attention you know same thing goes mm -hmm. for Sarah Everard's death you know these are things that for, for whatever reason because we for me I think because we were in that more heightened state of awareness already yeah it touched us much more deeply our, our defenses were down so it, and it kind mm -hmm. of enters our system much more powerfully and the you know the, again the sort of positive side to that is that we do then pay attention to it we think yeah okay this is another threat because we're in a threat state mm -hmm. and maybe I can do something about this maybe I want to pay attention to this and maybe I want to change some of my behavior or maybe I want to get involved in some activism or do something about this at the same time our resources were really low so that's where you're talking about overwhelm that's where the overwhelm mm -hmm. comes in 
you know, of all of these things that are really important, what are the things that I feel that I'm actually able to focus on and maybe... Well, and how do you choose? How do you say, well, that one's more important than that one and that one? And then you then you also have people's opinion, which is saying, well, this is obviously the most important one and this is... The... And that's... How do we become more resilient with that? Because you're right in that they're, the, it's completely... It's things that are under the carpet that absolutely shouldn't be. But we're not necessarily equipped to cope with dealing with all of them at the same time and knowing how we then... No, we're not. And, and, and nor should we be. You know, that's mm. not possible. And mm. we're humans and we have limited resources. And, you know, I think there's also... Um, I mean, Nova Reed has talked about this in her book, The Good Ally, you know, the kind of performative nature of it too. Yeah, that when we, yeah. do, when we do something because we feel like we should, actually, we're not really making meaningful change anyway. So... I think that the, um, you know, to answer your question, I don't think it's necessarily about having to make a choice of kind of what comes first. I think it's more about buffering ourselves from the information that we're receiving so that we have the space to make those choices. I think there's a step that comes beforehand. And if you're being bombarded with information and opinion, actually, you can't think there's no space mm. for reflection so first of all and I've really encouraged a lot of my clients to do this over the last couple of years like get rid of half of the stuff that you're reading because it's just too much mm. and you know there is still places that you can access really simple fact-based news information so you can go on the Reuters website for example just read headline news and you don't need to have all of the kind of noise and opinion that comes alongside it and also like I think I suppose you only need it once a day <laughs> because it doesn't change if that, generally if through that. The day. yeah yeah okay I mean I think it's completely fine to take a total break from it and not even look at it once a day if something important happens you will find out if somebody will tell you if mm. something happens so you know I think you can start off by actually having like a real break from it and I think you know I find that with a lot of the clients that I work with you know really limiting your news consumption for a good few days switching off your social media I was for gonna a few say days. when news is one thing but also I guess it's the social media piece as well right it's social media and also it's reading news on social media because you're not um you're not prepared for what you're going to um what you're going to be facing and I think that was something that was it really added another level of difficulty for a lot of people where if we're already in this kind of stressed state mm. and then we're going onto social media thinking that we're going to have a, a sort of space to zone out which a lot of people did as you know as a really um, you know at that time quite a sensible coping strategy mm -hmm. you know lots of our normal coping strategies were not available to us so we used other things like zoning out on social media watching tv you know in all, numbing, drinking alcohol of, mm. numbing in order to be able to kind of just sort of carry on but then you suddenly you know you're scrolling through stories then all of a sudden you get this like really horrific news story or images that are really quite distressing and you don't have you know you're not ready for it you know you haven't kind of put your guard up in order to be able to cope with what's coming and I suppose thinking about all those massive topics that we know we should have opinions on and we want to learn about but you're actually social media isn't probably always the best place because it jumps around so you you will be getting a message about climate change and then you'll be getting a message about you know allyship and then you'll be getting a message about trans and it's like these are all huge things which you almost need to look at individually but when yeah, you're looking totally. at them all at the same time you are it's too much 
It's, it is too much. And I think, and yeah. Because you, you feel torn. Get... I Personally, I, I'm like, oh, right. God, I need to know that. And I need to know. And you can't learn it all in one go. Because you can't. I think one of the great things about social media is that there are so many people who are putting out, you know, information for mm. free. And in order to be able to educate people about this. I mean, to me, that is the, one of the huge benefits of social media is that mm-hmm. you have you have that kind of access to activists and educators at your fingertips um I suppose it's about what you're looking for at that time and I think mm-hmm. again you know there's no need to do it all now you know that, that it, it will come and I think that there are you know in each of those different spheres that you've talked about there are actions that we can take but one of those actions is that I'm going to take my time to learn mm-hmm. about this properly and I'm going to you know give it the attention that it deserves and make meaningful changes but I don't have the capacity to do that right now and that is where I'm at I know it's important I do want to learn more but I'm not there at the moment you mentioned Nova Reed and in her book she does she talks about that about when knowing when to stop yes rather than sort of plowing on and actually ending up damaging yourself or people around you because you're not taking your time it's not None of it's overnight. Yes. I had, um, last thing, um, mm-hmm. are there two things that we could do this month uh, to help ourselves recover? Um, yes, lots of things that we can do all the time. Actually, I should, just, I should just say before, so one of the one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you is that you've just kind of unveiled your plan for the year, yes. which is a big deal, yeah. which is all about reflection and recovery. And you've done it for the whole of 2022. So you've made the point that it's not a six-week course. It's not a quick solution. So I'm asking this question on the basis of this month, but I, but also I think people should go and have a look at what you're doing and, and will be doing for the next 12 next months. Next 12 months, yes. For the first time ever, I have a plan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. I, I'm impressed. But I, but the point being, it's not a quick fix. But I suppose, what can we start with? If if everyone's feeling a lot of the things that we've talked about, what's what happens next? I think, well, so this month I'm talking about kind of looking back. So January's topic is rewind and looking back over the pandemic and thinking about the impact that it's had on us and what it's meant to us. And Mm -hmm. the first thing, kind of what we start with always when we're talking about any kind of trauma, including this sort of collective trauma, is trying to find a sense of safety. And that's really hard to do while the pandemic is still going on. But being able to find safety, even just in your body, is one of the things that we can do you know in our day-to-day life we can do it multiple times throughout the day just to try and bring ourselves out of that fight or flight state and into more of a sense of feeling grounded and that in itself kind of switching around that kind of trauma spiral that we talked about before where we're kind of acting with our amygdala full of adrenaline we're starting to come to a more grounded reflective state and so how do you do that how do you so the quickest way for me is breathing and there's so much out there now about using your breath to be able to ground yourself and bring a sense of safety but essentially it's any breath where the out breath is longer than your in breath so there's lots of different techniques that you can use you can count so you might do in for four out for six or you can do belly breathing where you're breathing in through your nose and really imagining your chest and your belly filling with air and then sighing out so I really encourage people to do like a big sigh out through an open mouth 
And especially mm. if you've been dealing with small children where your adrenaline can <laughs> often really get going, it can actually yeah. really help to do loud, audible sighs, you know, so that you can I mean, really let go. are at an all-time low. I think my, my son implemented a swear jar at, at the beginning of lockdown and we got to about 70 quid. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're not doing this anymore because there's no... So that idea of pausing, I think this is one of those things that I I know this, I've heard this, but it's like we have to actively really make an effort to do it, for it to have any benefit. You can't just know it. Well, it's it's, it's less about effort. It's more, again, it's about the switch because if we're in, if we're kind of in that sort of amygdala mode where we are just acting in survival mode, we don't have Mm. the capacity to reflect, you know, so it's, it's almost that... You, you know it's it's less about effort and more about actually kind of making a, a switch as to how we're going to try and function in our day-to-day life I guess that is effortful mm-hmm. but in some ways it's about letting go of the effort if that makes sense okay. yeah and just being able to you know not even doing it generally as a practice like ideally you maybe you would do it as a practice throughout the day but just reminding yourself like being able to even now listening kind of tuning in where am I at the moment am I feeling that my breath is rapid do I feel kind of tingly in my fingers am I holding myself tightly just Mm -hmm. tuning into this is how I'm feeling at the moment and then being able to use your breath to just see what happens and experiment with it and be able to then show yourself hey wow just in like five breaths I can feel that my body has relaxed You can do things like put a post-it note on the kettle or put a post-it note on your front door, put a, you know, your screensaver on your phone can be a little reminder just to say breathe. We have an amazing uh, tendency to ignore those post-it notes and reminders when we're in survival mode. But there must be something in the pattern. So I'm thinking, right, so we're trying to say maybe don't delve into your phone so often. So is it that first this is probably more information than anyone needs, but that first wee of the day, <laughs> you take your phone. So I keep my phone downstairs, but so I come downstairs, I might take it with me to the toilet, but that means I'm instantly in, you know, yes. there's news, there's information, there's a WhatsApp I need to reply to, there's a reminder. So that's at that, but that could be your breathing. That could be your breathing. That could be when you breathe. Okay. Yeah. You can all imagine me tomorrow. Morning. That's what I'm going to do tomorrow when I go for my first yeah. way of the day is I'm going to be breathing yeah, with you, Steph. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can all be that's doing breathing. it. But I think that's the, that's for me, that's the way, because there's so many things that I know are good for me that I don't do, even though I know they're good for me. So it's like, well, how do you make them a pattern or a, or a habit? Yeah, a habit. Well, I so I think I think that this maybe this can be my number two is that it's thinking about whether you are ready to start your recovery process because mm-hmm. actually, I think for a lot of people there is a real fear that if we start to look at this or if we start to relax, we're just going to fall to pieces. Mm-hmm. You know, like I've been going, we've been going for so long. And just if as long as we can just keep on going, then we don't really need to think about how hard it's been or we don't really need to feel our feelings. And what if I actually feel my feelings and they're just so overwhelming that I can't carry on? That's always the fear, you know, that keeps us in that real kind of, you know, roller coaster state. And I suppose part of that is just you know being able to notice that is that something that is around for you is there a worry there about what might happen 
if I'm able to really start putting some of this stuff into practice um, and if so what might I want to do about that worry because actually in my experience yes there often is a bit of a collapse but the collapse is necessary mm. and once you have the collapse which generally speaking is never as big or as bad as you think it's going to be that's when we can start putting ourselves back together again but in some ways you know we need to be able to have that that kind of you know allowing ourselves to just dissolve a little bit allowing the edges to blur and for our feelings to come out and to get weepy and you know hopefully to cry with people in order to then be able to go okay I've let go of something now I've let go of all of the stuff that I've been holding on to that has kept me in that survival mode and now I can think about what practices I might want to put into place so that I can then start to put myself back together again perfect Emma thank you so much you're so welcome oh I hope it was no so useful and I just think well like you say people need we need to talk about it because it's I'm bored of talking about COVID and the what ifs and all of that stuff but this is the stuff that we could hopefully people will open up about and be able to talk about and we're gonna have to go through it at some point you can't put these things off can you well it, and we do and then we just you know get into fights in the supermarket instead yeah, and... yeah, yeah. irritable <laughs> and angry and guilty and blah, all of it um and I will put links in the show notes and stuff but the probably the best place to find you is on Instagram yes uh, at mammologist and so this kind of um year of reflection and recovery that I'm doing Mm. I'm just I'm doing the same thing across kind of Instagram and my group on um, Facebook and in my Mm -hmm. newsletter so that people can kind of just dip in and out of it I I, my the whole point of it is that it's kind of low pressure and it will all be kind of collated on my website as well so that there's lots of places that people can easily access it because that can add pressure too, can't it? That sort of sense of feeling like I'm falling behind. So, but so it'll all be easy to find. Perfect, and we'll put all the links in. And um, yeah, awesome. Thank you very much. No, you're so welcome. Thanks for having me, Steph. Good to talk to you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.